Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor David. It is my privilege to bring God's message to you from Nehemiah chapter 5 that Kim McMahon read to us. Now, let me start with a quiz here. How many of you know how long it takes to put together a sermon? Any ideas? What's that? Obviously, it depends on the text, and some texts are difficult, and others are, you know, the message comes, jumps out of the page of the text. And on average, by the way, it takes about anywhere from 15 to 30 hours to really put together a sermon, to study the scripture. If you're studying in the Greek or the Hebrew language, it takes even more time. And plus reading commentaries and doing what they call the exegesis and then sit down and write the outline, write the manuscript, find the illustrations you know, and all of that. And so, you know, the way that uh, we have arranged here is that uh, as a result of that, you know, uh, every five weeks or so, we give Pastor Jeremy a break so that he would be fresh, that he would get another chance to kind of catch up, read, refresh himself uh, and to be able to you know, go another four weeks or five weeks or something to that effect. So that's why I'm here. So we have set it up such that you will see me about once in every five weeks or so, you know, for joining Pastor Jamie uh, to preach God's word to us. So let's begin. On the screen, you will see two different spellings for the word Alleluia. Which one do you think is correct? Let's take a poll. Those in favor of the one that's on the left, to your left, that begins with the letter A. How many of you are here? All right. Those in favor of the one on the right, the one that begins with the letter H. See, I knew it. This trouble has been brewing here in our church for some time. (laughs) As someone has once said, where two or more of God's people are gathered together in his name, sooner or later there will be a mess. (laughs) And here we are. Believe it or not, such a controversy did take place in a church as they prepared to make a banner for a praise concert. One faction insisted the word be spelled the first way, while the other would not budge from the second way. Petitions were drawn, rallies were held, and late night threats were received by both sides. One man, a supporter of Alleluia that begins with the letter A, was nearly clobbered by a rock that came through his window. The rock bore a note that simply said, Hallelujah, that begins with the letter H. Both sides were adamant that since they had grown up with the particular spelling, theirs was correct. I was so sick about it, I couldn't sleep. 
said an ardent supporter of Alleluia that begins with the letter A. Imagine that. It is so jarring to see it without the H at the beginning, said an equally ardent supporter of the other view. It is not something where I question their salvation, but at times you have to wonder, said another. It consumes so much of their time and energy that they did not get to work on the logistics of the praise concert. As a result, they not only canceled the praise concert, but now there are two churches that meet in separate school auditoriums. Trouble from within has the potential to distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. Trouble from within has the potential to distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. Last week, in our continuing sermon series in the book of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, Pastor Jeremy addressed the trouble that came from the outside and how it distracted the Jews from doing God's work of rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. Pastor Jeremy said that outsiders may plot and plan to create trouble, but we must pray and remain focused on God's work, trusting in God to frustrate the plots and plans of those outsiders. This morning we are in Nehemiah chapter 5. In this chapter, the trouble is not from the outside, but from within. Nevertheless, it has the same potential to distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. And that's what we'll be talking about here in Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning. So if you haven't opened the Bibles already, I invite you to open uh, open it to chapter 5. That you will find on page 507 if you are using the church Bible. Nehemiah chapter 5. Page 507 in the Blue Bible. Let's begin in verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. See, in these three verses, we get, we get to see four groups of people. The first group is starving. They are people who did not own land, 
They worked in other people's land to earn wages and provide for their families. Now since they had been called to rebuild the wall, they could not work, earn wages, and provide for their families. Note that Nehemiah, there's no record of Nehemiah paying these people wages for building or rebuilding the wall. So as a result, they are starving. The second group of people is broke. These people owned lands, but again because they had been called to rebuild the wall, they did not get to cultivate their lands and reap a harvest. Because all the men had been called to work on the, on, on the rebuilding of the wall. This in turn forced them to mortgage their lands to provide food for their families. The third group feels abused. They own lands and even cultivated some of them to produce food for their families. But again, because their men had been called to rebuild the wall, they could not produce enough or maybe could not even cultivate all of their lands and perhaps to sell grain in the market and earn money to pay their taxes. As a result, some had no option but to sell their sons and daughters into slavery. So there are three groups of people. People who were starving, people who were broke, and people who were abused. And there is this fourth group, the wealthy among them, who exploited the situation to get even richer. Ironically, the situation is God's work of rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. When Nehemiah heard this, he was outraged. He was ticked off. As we read in verse 6, that's what it says. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. In other words, imagine Nehemiah. I mean, his first face had turned red. The, the veins, his, uh, veins were stuck, sticking out as the blood flow was increasing. And he was outraged. He was angry. He was ticked off. Because of what was happening within his community. Because he knew unaddressed this has the potential to distract, curtail, and even derail God's work of rebuilding the wall. So let me ask ask you this. Are there things within our church Again, remember, this is trouble from within, so I'm not going to focus anything that is happening outside in the world. Only focus on the things that are within. So are there things within our church, Midland Evangelical Free Church, that tick you off, make you angry? Because they too have the potential to distract, curtail, and even derail the work that God has entrusted to us. Think about it. I believe naming the things that distract, curtail, or even derail God's work and becoming angry at 
or ticked off by them, it's a good thing. It may even be a work of the Holy Spirit in order to move us to action. Just as it moved Nehemiah to action. So, here you go. I'm going to sound off a few. How about sin in the church? But it's usually referred to as sin in the camp. God would not bless the church until the sin is dealt with. Moreover, addressing sin can consume a lot of time and energy. The sin in the church can distract, curtail, and even derail God's work. How about critical spirit? Constant criticism can discourage and even disable those who volunteer their time, talent, and treasure to do God's work in and through the church. How about what has now come to be known as the 80-20 principle? That is, 80% of the work and ministry of the church is done by 20% of the people. That includes financial contribution to the church as well. This means four out of five people sitting in a church are spectators and consumers. Let me get down to a little bit more specific, for example. I know here at the church, it has sometimes distracted our children's ministry staff. They want to fully invest their time, talent, and treasure in ministry. But they are constantly on the phone or sending emails recruiting volunteers. Lack of volunteers sometimes forces them to combine or even close Sunday school classes. It curtails the potential of our youth ministry. Because not enough volunteers to lead results in not starting new youth discipleship group or what we call DGs for new students. Here's another one. How about a lack of zeal for evangelism? Christians are in their holy huddles Meaning they spend most of their time with other Christians with whom they are comfortable. As a result, they are not engaged with unbelievers to evangelize them, disciple them, and to turn them into disciple makers. Perhaps there are many more. But the truth remains... Unless these are resolved, they can distract, curtail, or even derail the work God has entrusted 
to this church. In studying Nehemiah chapter 5, I learned five principles he successfully used to resolve the internal issue that threatened to distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. And I want to share them with you and try to apply them to our own situation. You know, what's happening here is that uh, let, let me read that for you. Here, here's a, let's look at verse 7. So Nehemiah was ticked off. He was outraged. He was angry. But in verse 7 we read, I took counsel with myself. In other words, he didn't say a word. He took a time out. Went someplace else by himself and thought long and hard about it before he said anything. And then I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And here's the word. They were silent and could not find a word to say. In other words, whatever Nehemiah did, People were speechless. People were without defense. It was a very successful confrontation in the sense that it resolved the issue. And as a result, they were able to continue with the work that God had given them. Notice in these words that I just read to you, three times... You find the word brother or brothers. You are exacting interest each from his brother. We as far as we are able have brought back our Jewish brothers. But you sell your brothers that they may, they may be sold to us. You see... In the Bible, God says, I am a father to Israel. That is, the Israelites have one father, God himself. As a result, they are siblings, regardless of which tribe that they belong to. And Nehemiah appeals to that loving relationship, brotherly love, or sisterly love, to resolve the internal trouble that had the potential to distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. Now in the New Testament, we read that God has adopted into His family all who believed in His Son, Jesus Christ. As a result, the church, which is made up of believers, is a family. 
We are siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ. For example, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, we read this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So what do we do in our biological families? We encourage and support one another, don't we? So on the basis of our family relationship, I want to appeal to you to be kind to one another. Instead of being critical, spend your time and talent into encouraging and building up one another as the scripture instruction, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Make it a point to appreciate the things others do well and say thank you to them instead of pointing out the things they may not do well. Let me tell you a story. This is very dear to my heart. My second daughter, I have two daughters, Yem and I have two daughters, my younger daughter, as a junior in high school, a junior or a sophomore in high school, decided to take AP chemistry. She figured my dad is a PhD in chemistry. I would be able to get you know, his help. And so she took it. One day after an exam, I go, go home from my work, and she was waiting for me. Because she wanted to tell me, Dad, I got an A minus. So I gave her a hug and said, Good job. And then, then you know what I did? I said, So what did you get wrong? And her face changed. She did not say a word. But I knew what was going on in her mind. And I said to myself, David, what are you doing? There are so many students in her class who would love to have that A minus. There are so many parents of those children who would love to have their children have A minuses. That day, I made a decision that A- minus is good enough for me. That I would accept and celebrate an A- minus job instead of asking why it is not an A or an A-plus job. You see, I'm a scientist. Many of you are scientists. We are taught to look for problems, be critical of them, and find ways to solve them. That's what I did. And so in the church setting, sometimes we do that. Instead of appreciating an A-minus job, 
we begin to ask the question, why is it A minus? Why is it not an A or an A plus? Without realizing many of the people who are working, whether here and in the, behind the tech area or leading worship service in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry, in the adult ministries, in missions, wherever, they're all volunteers having full-time jobs all there, have decided to volunteer their time, talent, and treasure to do God's work. And sometimes we are critical because it was not an A or an A plus job. So, on the basis of the fact that I am your brother, I am your family member, I appeal to you. Let us get rid of critical spirit and be encouraging and building up one another. And let not critical spirit derail, distract, or curtail the work that God has entrusted to us. Second, Nehemiah appealed to God's word. Once more, let's go back to these verses, 7 and 8, that I just read to you. Nehemiah says that you are exacting interest each from his brother. You even sell your brothers as slaves to other nations. And then in verse 10, and 11, he says, let us abandon this exacting of interest, return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive branches, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and all that you have been exacting from them. And what's the next verse? They were silent and could not find a word to say. Do you know why? Because Nehemiah's argument was based solidly on God's word. For example, in Leviticus chapter 25, you will see these verses up on the screen. Beginning in verse 35, this is what we read. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over them ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. Nehemiah used this particular scripture as the basis of his argument and people could not speak against it. In the life group questions this week, that's what I have tried to do. That hope you have a good discussion in terms of the different things. For example, I'm making a case for the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers based on scripture. 
The need to pursue holiness. I'm making a case based on scripture. I'm making a case to be encouraging and building up one another based on scripture. And I'm also making a case to live debt-free lives. So that we could generously invest in God's work. Again, using scripture. But let me use just one of those scripture verses to make a point. And I chose 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's you and me. God saved us and made us priests, not so that we would be spectators and consumers in a church, but rather we would declare his praises, his excellencies to others. So how can we not invest our time, talent, and treasure in God's work? How can we not evangelize and disciple unbelievers? It is my prayer that in this church, we will turn this 80-20 principle upside down. Such that we would be able to say that 80% of our people are engaged in God's work. Both inside and outside of the church. Both evangelizing unbelievers and discipling believers. Now, I have a challenge for you. Earlier this month, or late last month, we invited the congregation to choose 30 people or families and to pray for them during the 30 days of October. So, if you have done that, or if someone else had prayed for you this month, would you please stand? Wow. That's the kind of church that I would like to see. So here's a challenge for you. We have, this is 25th, so please be seated. This is 25th. We have six days to put together our list, your list of 30 people. And pray for 30 people and families during the 30 days of November. Would you do that? Because I have been praying and I'm praying hard that this movement of prayer that God had begun here at Midland Free would multiply and become an unstoppable movement that spills into our community. That's my prayer. Nehemiah appealed to brotherly love. Nehemiah appealed to God's word. And the third thing that he did was to appeal to God's reputation. I see that in verse 9. 
So I said, says Nehemiah, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Here Nehemiah makes his case by appealing to God's reputation. He says, don't sin. Instead, walk in the fear of God such that even pagans who don't believe in God would have nothing negative to say about you or God. And we see a similar passage in the New Testament, by the way. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. The Apostle Peter writes, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So my brothers and sisters at Midland Free, on account of the fact that we are family and I am your brother, let me ask you to live such attractive lives, not just in the church, because it's pretty easy to put on the Christian mask and come to church every Sunday morning, but also in our families, in our neighborhoods, workplaces and schools, such that others are attracted to Christ. Failure to do so would tarnish God's name and his reputation as well as our Christian testimony. Some of you may have heard of this famous statement by Mahatma Gandhi, one of India's greatest leaders who fought against the British for independence. He said this, I like your Christ but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. You see, Mahatma Gandhi could not reconcile how the British who came to India bearing the name of Christ could be so brutal and oppressive to the Indian people during their occupation. And we don't want anybody to say that about us. In the church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our schools. And that brings me to the fourth point. Having appealed to brotherly love, God's word, and God's reputation, Nehemiah now appeals to God's judgment to resolve the internal trouble that threatened to distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. And I find that in verses 12 and 13. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake you out. Every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. In Nehemiah's day, people kept their personal belongings in the folds of their garment. In fact, I brought a demonstration. 
this is something I wear even today. Every time I go to bed or when I go home, this is, some, this is, this is how you will see me. Not with PJs. This is it. So you wear this. And he came home without announcing this is how it will be. So you kind of do this. Here's your fault. My grandparents put their money into this fold and tucked it under before we invented all of these, you know, pouches that had passports and money and everything. This is that. They carried their money. But Nehemiah does is to take this out and shake it out and throw everything else. It's his way of demonstrating God's judgment that would come to those who do not keep the promise that they had made. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, we read something similar. Here is God's judgment. Do ye not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's God's judgment. That's why we have made pursuit of holiness or core value here at Midland Free. And it goes like this, our core value statement. God is holy and he commands us to be holy and present our bodies as holy and acceptable to him. We are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. The Bible teaches that those in ongoing sin are not born of God and will not inherit God's kingdom. We are to call such people to repent. Sinful lifestyles of church people distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. Let us appeal to God's word, his reputation, his judgment as the basis to resolve the issue. And the fifth and the final one. Nehemiah appealed to examples of godly lifestyles. And I see that in verses 7 and 8, 10, 14 through 18. Let me read a few of those for you. Verse 7, And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We as far as we are able have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nation, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Verse 10, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Verse 14, Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of king of the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took, them, took from them for their daily ration for 40 shekels of silver. 
Even their servants loaded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on, work on the wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my, at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the, uh, from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, birds, and even ten days of all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of a governor because the service was too heavy on this people. You see, in these verses, Nehemiah presents himself as an example of a godly lifestyle. As a governor, he had several rights and privileges, but he did not make use of any of them in order not to distract, curtail, or derail the work that God had given them. Brothers and sisters at Midland Free, can you and I and our church become examples of godly lifestyles for others to imitate and follow. I sure hope so. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote regarding the church in Thessalonica. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you into Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Let me read it, putting other names. You become an example to all the believers in Midland and in Michigan. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Midland and in Michigan, but your faith of God has gone forth everywhere. Can we become a church like that? Can we become a people like that? Trouble from within has the potential to distract, curtail, and even derail God's work. Let us not let that happen right here in Midland Evangelical Free Church. So, as it has become my custom, let me summarize the sermon for you so that you are very clear. The subject of the sermon is this. Things that distract, curtail, or even derail God's work. And there are perhaps many, but I sounded off about four of them today. Critical spirit, consumerism, and the lack of engagement using time, talent, and treasure in God's work. Holy huddles and lack of zeal for evangelism. And sinful lifestyles. Perhaps there are many. And the response I call for is this. Be part of the solution to resolve them before they actually distract, curtail, or even derail God's work in and among and through us. You may ask, how do you do that? By appealing to brotherly love, God's word, God's reputation, God's judgment 
and examples of godly lives. And you may ask, how long would that take? And here's what it is. Only as long as it takes you to calm down and put together a biblical plan. As I said in Nehemiah chapter 6, we read that he was very angry, outraged and ticked off. But did not say a word. Instead, he took counsel with himself. Formulated a biblical plan. And then confronted the issue. May the Lord lead us and guide us to become that kind of people and that kind of church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a wonderful example of Nehemiah. And help us all to be people who are modeled for others to follow. In the days and weeks and months and years to come, may your Holy Spirit lead and guide us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.